for the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the press, or the right of the people peacefully to assemble, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Students don't shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Our voices matter because we're the ones best equipped to tell our own stories. Student journalism matters. This is Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the New Voices podcast. Hello and welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate, the JEA, Scholastic Press Rights Committee's podcast focused on empowering student journalists and educating the greater community about their rights. My name is Kristen Taylor, I'm a member of the SPRC and a teacher at the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles, where I advise the students' digital newspaper, The Oracle, and their yearbook, Hestia's Flame. Our goal for each episode of this podcast is to highlight a specific aspect of scholastic press freedom and then bring you an interview related to that topic so you can see how the terms come to life in real schools around the country. For today's episode, I talked with Rebecca Pollard who, in addition to advising her own scholastic journalism program in Texas, oversees the Student Journalist of the Year contest, which is also known as JOY, for JEA. She's going to give us an overview of the contest and then zero in on an important issue that has forced judges to disqualify some otherwise great portfolios, copyright infringement. Let's start with the contest itself. Journalist of the Year is a scholarship contest for high school seniors that starts at the state level. Some of this year's state deadlines have already passed, unfortunately, but many are coming up shortly. In California, where I teach, for example, the deadline is February 15th. Each state has a winner, which goes to the nationals. National portfolios are judged at the Spring National High School Journalism Convention, and winners are announced at the convention's concluding awards ceremony. The top winner will receive a scholarship of $3,000, and each of the runners-up will receive $850. There are many things that go into a successful portfolio, but it's just as important to consider what should be left out, anything that unlawfully infringes on someone's copyright. So what is copyright, and how does it affect student journalists? Copyright protection is actually written into the Constitution. According to the SBLC, Copyright is a set of federal laws stemming from Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the U.S. Constitution, which grant authors and artists the exclusive right to benefit from their creations. For student media, that can be both good and bad. The law protects student journalists' work and allows them to control how their writing, photography, and other creations are used, performed, or reproduced. However, it also limits their ability to reproduce the works of others. Student journalists need to be careful not to misuse other creators' protected work, such as photographs, art, and music. Copyright law is really complicated, so for today, we're just going to look at some of the more common copyright problems that judges have found in the Journalist of the Year submissions. If you want to know more than we can cover here today, I strongly recommend checking out SPLC's guide and Frequently Asked Questions. Advisors, JEA also has a great set of lessons around copyright that you can use to teach your students, and SPRC has a section on copyright as well. Now that we have that foundation, here's my interview with Rebecca Pollard. 
So Rebecca Pollard, welcome to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, I wanted to start by just having you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your connection to scholastic journalism and then specifically your role um, with JEA. Sure. Um, I have been an advisor. This is my 20th year in education and my 19th year as a scholastic media advisor. I have advised all uh, types of mediums over um, my course of, of doing this crazy job we live. Uh, but nonetheless, I've enjoyed every minute and um, look forward to talking with you about these issues that we've got going on today. Great. Wonderful. So we're going to start talking about JOY, which is something you are obviously deeply involved in, and that stands for Journalist of the Year, which is a student competition. And I know that this is both a state and a national competition. So can you tell our audience a little about the competition and then describe the process of applying to it? Sure. Um, so I uh, chair the Journalist of the Year competition at the national level for Journalism Education Association. And uh, what that involves is me really overseeing the operation and the judging um, and facilitating the contest at that national level. Each state actually has their own state contest and how it works is each state runs their own contest. In fact, right now we're in the height of these states probably uh, having their deadlines for this contest. So then that way they can figure out who their state winner is. And then their state winner has the opportunity to submit to the national contest uh, to, to basically become hopefully, potentially, the National national Journalist of the Year. And then we also have runner-ups as well, or runners-up, should I say. And then on top of it, everybody who gets a runner's-up or a winner spot receives a scholarship. Wonderful. Can you tell me a little bit about the portfolio itself? What is it that people tend to put together for this contest? Sure. The contest itself really lends for the contestant to come up with a body of work, to prove who they are as a journalist, to show all of the examples of things that they've collected over the course of their uh, career, and really just showcase that. And it's not just about showcasing your best work. It's also about showcasing where you've had some growth. So maybe you show that very first story that nobody really wants to see again. But then at the same time, what you're doing is you're talking about how it how it shaped you, how it helped you become the journalist you are today. Um, I think at the state and the national level, judges like to see that. Great. And people generally put together, is it a website that they create that has uh, information about these different areas? Yes. So the national level, uh, we actually have 11 categories that kids can organize their work by. I know that the states, although they run separate contests and they're um, separate from JEA, one of the things that they always do is, or a lot of the states do, is they will mirror the um, the recommendations or the requirements at the national level. So uh, you'll see those 11 categories listed on our website, but What's really interesting about it is that kids will um, gather based off of their experience. So if they have a lot of photography um, experience, maybe they put that under the photojournalism category. Or if they're an editor, per se, uh, they could put something in leadership and, and demonstrate how they have those skills. Um, of course, there's a lot of writing. Um, those who do broadcast, they have a lot of multimedia broadcast packages. 
uh, as well as online. I mean, really, I could just go on and on about how you can really just, you know, take all kinds of things that you've done on the staff that you've been on and how it ha- how it shapes you and demonstrate that to the judges. And that's what the contest is about, is showing what you've done. So if someone hasn't had experience in every single category, does that disqualify them or are they able to still compete? That is a popular question. I'm so glad you asked it. No, <laughs> it does not disqualify you. In fact, it's really hard to have all the categories represented. I mean, come on, we're talking high school kids, right? They're super busy. Um, but no, they it really the 11 categories are about just, you know, a, a way to organize the work for judges to have some kind of consistent measuring stick to put kids up against each other. Because at the end of the day, it's a competition and they, they just need some consistency in order to judge it well. Got it. So I'm interviewing today specifically to talk about copyright, because as a press law and ethics podcast, we talk a lot about press rights, but also one of the things we need to remember is that some things are copyright protected. And I've heard that you've actually run into some great portfolios that end up being disqualified because of issues with copyright. I would love it if you could describe some of those specific instances. Sure. Uh, the, the, here's the sad thing. We get so invested in these kids when they are uh, working so hard to showcase themselves and enter this competition. And it's a pretty rigorous competition. It's, this is not easy (laughs) to do. It's very time consuming. And uh, at the national level, we have had a couple instances where we have actually had to disqualify, uh, someone who made it to the national level. So that means that they won their state contest got to the national level. And unfortunately, we found a copyright violation. And just, you know, not not only, you know, with, you know, with it being unethical, it's illegal. So um, it's really hard to go ahead and, and have um, that person considered for the contest when there's been such a huge violation. So um, unfortunately, we've had to do that. The, uh, the couple of examples that I can give you, one, um, and actually both of them have dealt with broadcast. That's where the big one I think is misunderstood, that kids could really learn a little bit more about how to use music. Uh, and it, one of them was a compilation video. So something that um, a student put together for like their athletic program or another uh, program in their school. And I think, and I can't remember specifically if it was like showcased at a pep rally or something like that, but nonetheless, um, it was a video that they put together for it and they were really proud of it. Um, and, and it was a really awesome video, but unfortunately it used a song in its entirety um, without permission, nor did they credit permission for the song. We reached out to the contestant and sure enough, they didn't get permission for that. So that was one. Um, and another one, it was um, another music uh, selection that was used in the middle of a package that ran on their broadcast. Um, and unfortunately, that's that's an issue. Do you ever have issues when people are putting together their websites where they might use images that run into those same problems? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I will tell you just from my own experience, my kids and I have had to navigate this. Currently, I'm a yearbook advisor, and I've I've had to deal with this just recently with kids putting photos that they found out on Google of an artist, for example, and put it, you know, on the page, and and then they turn it in, and and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, who who's whose image is this? You know, where did you get it? 
And when we start talking about it, I, I think the thing that kids don't really understand is that just because you can get it off the internet or on social media, like that doesn't mean that you have permission to use it. And that's what's really important for everyone to understand is that we've got to still go through the proper channels because at the end of the day, we're a media entity. So we have to follow the law. And um, copyright is one of those, you know, gray areas that that you really got to know what you're doing in order to, um, you know, make sure that you're you're being legal. Right. Well, and it's interesting because we're, you know, we're a group that really supports student voices, but that also means that we're supporting other voices and we need to legally protect the the intellectual property of those other voices. Right. And I think another thing too, that's, you know, eye-opening for the kids is like, you could be sued for this. Like you, right. you <laughs> take you to court directly, not your advisor, not your school, not your district, you. And, um, that's, you know, that's the unfortunate thing. I mean, there's companies out there. I mean, I, I know that Disney has a reputation and um, I was just judging a yearbook the other day where uh, I just, it, my heart broke when I looked, there was a module that was using um, some of the Disney characters and there was no credit for it. And I know as well as most people who've ever reached out to Disney at some point, the answer is no, like they never let you use their stuff. So, um, oh, it just breaks my heart because, um, you know, I have heard of times where Disney's been pretty relentless when it comes to um, copyright violation. So ultimately, uh, we really want to help and empower our students. We want to make sure that they don't get themselves into these situations. So what advice would you give students to make sure that they aren't violating copyright, maybe not just with Journalist of the Year, but anytime they're submitting work or participating in contests? Is there any type of checklist or, um, or sort of mental checklist they maybe can go through? Sure. Um, I would... I would zoom out and say this. Number one, if it's not yours, you need to walk down the path of, you know, how to get permission to deal with this. And there there are avenues for that. Um, number one, if you're ever in doubt, you can always reach out to Student Press Law Center and ask their um, attorneys because I will tell you they have stepped in many times for me um, and my kids when we've had questions about it. We just shoot them an email and almost, you know, within 24 hours or less, I'll hear back from somebody giving me um, some peace of mind about where we stand. And then if for anyone who ever attends a convention, um, don't forget to always go to one of the SPLC sessions um, about just legal issues in general, because usually copyright is one of those very first things that comes up um, that kids need to know about. Um, I will tell you that the, you know, kind of the big things for kids to think about for broadcast, you never want to use music unless A, you have paid for it. B, you have permission to use it directly from the artists themselves. Or C, you're you're following the the law. And I will tell you, we do not fall under that education purpose or that educational purpose mission. So a lot of times under fair use, the umbrella of, oh, it's for educational purposes so we can use it. We don't fall under that. In fact, we are there to inform and entertain. So that does not apply. So definitely want to make sure that you're getting permission. And um, if you're not, you're paying for it. And if you're not, then, you know, you probably don't want to use it or create your own um, is another opportunity. For print, you really need to think about uh, the same thing. I mean, are, you know, do you have permission to use it? If you don't, then A, are you 
paying for it or B, did you ask directly for um, permission to use it? And there are some, some companies that are willing to work with you. For example, my kids um, subscribe to the Tribune News Service which is something that is affiliated with the Chicago Tribune, which we pay an annual fee in order to have access to their photography. So you can, you know, get pictures of Ariana Grande at a concert uh, in order to use them for whatever purpose it is that you're using them for. And that's been an amazing resource for us. The other thing I will tell you is that a lot of the uh, media groups have um, sites like, for example, Netflix has a media center site where you can gain access um, to their press releases uh, in order to get some of their media kit type literature in order to use it for print. Uh, and then, of course, there's also music that's licensed to be used without any type of you can pay for a music license for uncopyrighted music and things like that as well. Yes. And I will tell you another good thing to look into is called Creative Commons. There is now an op- an opportunity that a lot of artists have gone through. Um, I've noticed it more on the print side. That's just because of where the medium that we're in. But um, I, I, I bet you it also exists for the music side. But Creative Commons is a way where artists actually put their work out there to be redistributed. And usually all they ask for is credit. Um, one of my favorite websites called The Noun Project um, for icons and whatnot that the kids like to use for design purposes. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there there are opportunities out there to wiggle around copyright law. You just got to make sure that you're using it correctly. Read the fine print. Oh, my gosh, it's so important to make sure that you know what you're agreeing to. And then on top of it, if you use anything within the fair use or creative commons or in public domain, even um, umbrellas, make sure that you're crediting it, crediting it correctly. So then that way, everybody knows that you're abiding by copyright law correctly. Right. And where could you go? Like SPLC will give us some guidance on that. You said SBRC, of course, we have resources on our website. So are those the types of places students could go if they're saying, oh, I have this creative commons, I'm not sure how to how to credit it correctly? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'll be honest, most of the time when I have actually reached out to SPLC, it's such a it's such a unique question that usually I end up having to email them. <laughs> but that's what they're there for. And they're and they're totally happy um to help with that. So I think it's definitely worth, you know, a contact. And um man, I save almost every email I ever get back from uh, Mike Eistad over there because, you know, I refer back to them to make sure that we're always doing what we're supposed to be doing. Great. Well, thank you so much for giving me this time today and for talking to us both about Journalist of the Year and about copyright. We really appreciate it. Sure. I hope it helps. Um, And as one last plug, I will say if you Google Journalist of the Year, the first hit comes up that goes to the JEA site. That's our subpage. And uh, underneath on the right hand side, there's state submission guidelines for people to check out their state contests so that way they can go ahead and get started. Great. And I know there's also some great models that they can look at there too. If they don't know where to start, they can look at some past winners and runners up. Yes. And uh, we've been trying to collect an archive um, for people to brainstorm and and check out. So uh, yeah, if you're in that same page on the right, there's the past winner site um, that you can check out everybody's uh, portfolios and see what they did when they entered the contest. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate your time and uh, talking to us about copyright and the joy contest. Sure. Happy to do it. Hope it helps. I hope this conversation inspires current seniors to apply for Journalist of the Year and helps them to better understand how to avoid copyright infringement. Thanks once again to Rebecca Pollard for taking the time to talk about joy and copyright. If you are an advisor or a student journalist and want to know more, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email asking a question and we will respond in a future episode. You can reach us at sprc.jea.org with the subject line podcast or tweet us at JEA Press Rights. So you don't miss out on future episodes, please subscribe to the podcast through any of the many podcast applications available for your computer or phone. The Scholastic Press Rights Committee is chaired by Lori Keekley, and JEA's president is Sarah Nichols. You can find us online at jeasprc.org. We are looking forward to observing Scholastic Journalism Week 2020 with you February 24th to the 28th. This year's theme is Big Questions, Big Results. JEA Scholastic Journalism Week 2020 celebrates student journalists who ask important questions about the world around them and thoroughly and accurately convey solid reporting to benefit the audience in a big way. They investigate, and their coverage is timely and relevant. They shed light on the people, trends, issues, and stories of their community. The results are clear and meaningful. Apply at JEA.org to be featured on the National JEA Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter during Scholastic Journalism Week, and use hashtag SJW2020 each day, in addition to our daily themed hashtags, to tell us how you're contributing. Thank you for listening. And remember, student voices matter.